Welcome to episode number 27 of the Video Game History Hour, presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode, we'll be bringing in an expert guest, someone who's done their research or lived through it and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. My name is Kelsey Lewin. I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation, and I'm here, as always, with Frank Cifaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. And our guest today is freelance writer and journalist Jack Yarwood, whose February feature on Polygon Spilling the Secrets of the Cancelled Curse of Monkey Island movie provided insider detail on an abandoned movie adaptation of, of course, Lucasfilm's Monkey Island series. Uh, Jack, welcome to the Video Game History Hour. Uh, Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, So, you know, we did know that there was a Monkey Island movie. We knew a little bit, but, you know, prior to your research, which sort of blew the doors open on details, uh, what is it that we knew about the Monkey Island movie? Well, I, I think for a while, um, people had kind of heard rumors that there was a Monkey Island film. Then there was some artwork leaked. And then it was really Lucas Arts themselves in the early two, uh, 2010s. Uh, I believe Craig Derrick, who worked on the anniversary editions of uh, Monkey Island, Basically, uh, the special editions basically uh, release some artwork with the uh, with those versions. So essentially, it was only the the story and the artwork that we knew from uh, one of the versions of the uh, the script, and that's pretty much all we knew for quite a while. Yeah, and that artwork uh, I'm familiar with. It was on um, kind of an obscure release of of a Monkey Island product. It was on. I don't even know what it's called. The Secret of Monkey Island Special Edition Collection, right? Yeah, Collector's Edition. Collector's uh, Edition. The, it was released, I think, yeah, 2010, because the two games were released in 2009. So it's like packaged up, I think, a year later. And Craig Derrick was really the one that I've heard, at least inside LucasArts, who really kind of, after hearing about this project, like hearing whispers about it, kind of went out and pursued the uh, the the artwork to get a, an official release from from LucasArts to to kind of put it out there and actually acknowledge it for the first time. Yeah, and Craig's a friend of the show, and and I, I completely believe that story yeah. <laughs> based on knowing him. Um, yeah, and and that that release, uh, even if you're a fan, I'd, you'd be forgiven for not hearing of it because I think it's a physical only, PC only, Europe only <laughs> release. <laughs> of uh that's a compilation of two games that had already been available to that point so it's it's and kind this of the only way this artwork was made publicly available for this canceled movie of a beloved franchise pretty much yeah yeah and wow. i i guess be, be, that's kind of why what the the problem was in terms of context around it was that i guess people started to fill in the blanks themselves and i think in a way um Without pointing fingers at individuals, I think people um, had assumed that LucasArts had, had had kind of more of a, an involvement with the actual project itself. So over the years, I think while other people have been trying to find out about this project, a lot of people have been going to LucasArts and LucasArts staff to try and find out um, basically what had happened with the project. And as it says in the article, I, uh, LucasArts weren't, necessarily directly involved i think there was one consult consultation that they had in which um the ilm 
staff who were working on the project um, basically showed artwork from Steve Purcell to, uh, I believe it was um, the directors on Escape from Monkey Island and Sean Clark and Michael Stemley. And I think beyond that, there was no actual like back and forth between them uh, at all. Yeah, and it, it it wasn't a huge logic leap even for myself to assume that there was some level of LucasArts uh, involvement because uh, Steve Purcell, as you mentioned, uh, not only an artist, you know, working at LucasArts, you know, Steve Purcell, of course, creator of Sam and Max and um, currently working at Pixar, did a lot of uh, uh, the work on quite Brave a, quite a few and stuff of them. like that. Yeah, oh, um, working there. but literally, you know, the the uh, main animation artist and occasional background artist of the first two Monkey Island games. So, you know, it, it was an easy logical leaf to see Steve Purcell art and go, oh, wow, this is actually a LucasArts project. But um, as it turns out, not so much, right? So um, yeah. I think uh, it's I, I think it's worth just kind of, you know, from here, just uh, at the start of, of the story here, just kind of explaining... Um, at this time, you know, what is ILM and what's their sort of relationship to LucasArts in, in, in this time? Well, uh, in the article, it kind of mentions about um, the separation from Pixar. And I think when Pixar released Toy Story, that was a point where a lot of people in Hollywood were trying to start their own animation divisions and trying to rush into kind of creating digital features that used um, not hand-drawn animation, but 3D, um, 3D art. And basically what happened was the team at ILM started wanting to develop their own features. They kind of went to um, the president of ILM and sort of said, you know, can we do this? They said, basically, create um, we're going to create a story department. You'll create a pitch for uh, a project and then we'll pitch it to other studios. And those studios would both collaborate with the people at ILM, but they would also finance the project. So a lot of these projects wouldn't have been financed internally. Um, so the the big thing was that um, before Monkey Island, there was Frankenstein, which was another sort of cancelled project that was a digital feature that they were working on side um, ILM. And that was actually when Steve Purcell came on board. So his involvement with Monkey Island was totally coincidental. He was just kind of there at ILM at the time and he was sort of brought on board and obviously his um yeah his insight into Monkey Island was obviously like in a really important kind of thing for the project. So that means that there was never any deliberate trying to get feedback from anyone who worked on the actual Monkey Island. It was all like you had you had Steve Purcell and that was basically an accident. Pretty much, yeah. Um <laughs> Which uh, I guess Tony Stacky um, was joking because he would uh, sort of be pulling all these influences from Daniel Defoe and like the history of pirates and different things like that. And obviously like Steve Purcell would be like, no, 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 no. And like try and correct him. And there'd be like kind of a back and forth where like, I, I think Tony Stacky was the one who was working most closely with Steve Purcell to sort of get that, those insights about, you know, what, Monkey Island actually is and not have it kind of come secondhand from playing the game or in the case of Dave Carson who was the uh, who was going to be the co-director on both um, um, Frankenstein project and Monkey Island um, in his case it was his son who he sort of put the idea by, yeah, by and said you know should we make a Monkey Island film and his son was the one who went yeah that, that would be amazing 
and that's obviously kind of goes into uh, then going to pitch that and create kind of like treatments and different things for it. So that's jumping ahead a little bit. So, so you know, um, ILM is this division of Lucasfilm, right? As is LucasArts. ILM, primarily known for providing special effects for movies at, at this point. They're, you know, pretty well known for things like the digital effects in Terminator 2, stuff like that. So, yeah, like, uh, I think Dave Carson was really, he was like instrumental on, on things like Willow. Right. And obviously there was um, a lot of like, projects like Jurassic Park that they were involved with um, and and stuff like that. So it's like a lot of like amazing kind of films that they had kind of been tied to and sort of doing the uh, the visual effects for. And that was predominantly what they were known for at the time. Right. And, and then the success, of, the success of Toy Story kind of puts them in a position where it's like, maybe we should develop complete features, right? Find Finding funding for them. Um, so you mentioned this Frankenstein and the Wolfman uh, film. Um which there is actually test footage online uh, that you can find if you search around. It's a it's just a fifteen second little uh, uh, Boris Karloff tribute. In, in, in it's a, it's actually interesting as well because they okay. don't have the rights for Boris Karloff. They have the <laughs> rights for the appearance of the Universal Monster Frankenstein. <laughs> so apparently they had a lot of back and forth about getting getting the monster so he looked kind of like the monster from the old old films, but. Not enough, like Boris Karloff, that the Boris Karloff estate <laughs> could come after them for, like, uh, yeah, for any kind of, uh, like, uh, yeah, for any money or anything. But yeah, it's um, th- that film actually entered production from what I've heard, so that actually got quite further along than the uh, Monkey Island project did. Right, it was a collaboration with Universal, of course. You're using the Universal monsters and. Uh, you write in your article that uh, it was the failure of Babe Pig in the City. It was kind of the first like domino to fall that eventually led to the cancellation of the Frankenstein movie. <clears throat> and as a Babe Pig in the City apologist, um, <laughs> I want to point out that in a just world, its success would have led to the creation uh, of Frankenstein and the Wolfman. Mm, um, maybe. Ba- Babe Pig in the City, directed by George Miller. Um braver and more technically interesting film than his 2015 hit Mad Max Fury Road. I'm just going to go out and say that on this podcast. I I learned from this article that Babe Pig in the City was a failure. I had no clue. <laughs> I I think I I think I might have put too much emphasis on Babe Pig in the City because there's actually another another piece that came out recently from I think Film Stories um that sort of went into Universal's uh like reputation at the time. They had a lot of failures kind of leading up to Babe, Babe Pig in the City. But I think Babe Pig in the City was the, the moment where there was kind of a changing of the guard inside uh, Universal and I think Casey Silver left. There was uh, someone else that the uh, the people at ILM who were then dealing with. Um, and then there was kind of like a meeting and the co-director who was representing the Universal side, Brent Maddock, who I believe had a role in writing Tremors, left the project and that kind of threw everything into kind of chaos and um, who's actually leading this project and, and stuff like that. And how are we going to move forward? I think that was kind of the problem there. Yeah. I mean, you know, the world just wasn't ready for babe picking the city still <laughs> yeah. isn't, I think. Um, so I'm not joking. It's a really interesting movie. Go watch it. Um, so, you know, the, the sort of leaves ILM, in a limbo phase with that project. Right. And they're sort of maybe kicking around other ideas. And, and this is when the idea of 
maybe Monkey Island comes about, right? Because um, the director uh, of the project is, you know, he was kind of taking advantage of his uh, LucasArts discount, I guess, and, and yeah. playing some computer games, right? Yeah, they got a, they got a discount on like LucasArts games if they worked kind of for Lucasfilm uh, kind of divisions. So he played all the kind of like adventure games with his with his son. Um, like Monkey Island was one of his favorites, and it was just that kind of connection. It's like we own the the property, so why don't we go out and kind of you know shop this around to people and. I believe that's kind of why they went for Steven Spielberg because Steven Spielberg obviously is great friends with George Lucas, but he was also a great, a great like video game fan. So he obviously knew Monkey Island and yeah, the, all the connections kind of happened there. And that's kind of why they chose Amblin to try and partner up with uh, on this project. So you have uh, the first draft of a of a script for a monkey island project um what is that what is that one like okay uh it's actually funny because not a lot of the people who actually worked on the project even know about the script (laughs) um i i had arguments with the the people like this script exists i know it does and them going no no we've never heard of this but it's uh david carson's original treatment for the uh for the project and essentially he just went through the game the first game and he just turned it into a film so there's a, a small introductory scene that i actually quote in the the article that talks about kind of um guybrush talking to someone on a different island before arriving at melee island and then from there it's kind of like it goes straight to the lookout and the uh you know the lines like "Hi, I'm Guybrush Fleetwood, and I want to be a pirate." Look like out, literally that, yeah. that line, like just. <laughs> and then it's like, the yeah. "Yikes! Don't sneak up on me and like that." <laughs> and then it's it, it essentially just goes into the uh, yeah the game. The three pirate leaders are there. The uh, the ghost pirate LeChuck. All of it kind of follows. Um, I think the biggest change is the fact that they don't do the free trials. They kind of whittle it down for like plot convenience and they also i think include murray and they also as well replace the random encounters that you have um in the map with repeat kind of clashes between guybrush and the skeleton kind of crew that uh in the game don't really do much (laughs) when you (laughs) you think about them they're just kind of sat around in comic (laughs) relief so yeah yeah and i mean uh, for those who've listened to the show for a while now, you know that uh, I love The Secret of Monkey Island. I, I would say I like it uh, more than Babe Pig in the City, um, but it's <laughs> high praise. It's uh, it's not a it's not a film plot. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking about. Is I mean, Monkey Island obviously it's a, a comedy game, and there's a ton of jokes in it, which is great. You can make a comedy movie, but it a lot of the jokes are jokes about adventure games mm-hmm. and yeah. it's structured very much like a parody of an adventure game so i feel like i mean how do you translate that to a movie other than making it a parody of movies instead i mean is it just like a pirate themed comedy where the jokes don't land as much unless you're I think, a gamer like <laughs> i think it, it it does sort of lack that self-referential kind of stuff it plays it quite straight um there is i guess no mention at the end, at least, about um, the, uh, you know, never pay more than uh, 
Like, oh yeah, <laughs> this much, uh, this much for a video game. It, instead, you could change that to a movie ticket. Instead, the line still work. <laughs> the line is, uh, it's like, well, the part I liked it wasn't being a pirate. The part I liked it was being a hero. I think I want to be a hero. Elaine, considering a hero, that could work. I could go for a hero. They stare at one another as what she's just said sinks into Guybrush. Guybrush smiling, but I'm keeping the ship. They kiss. The end. It's not exactly <laughs> the this like. Are, are there literally the same... fireworks going off? Like, in <laughs> yeah, the it is like the proper kind of <laughs> Disney-fied kind of ending for too for happy. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, especially the I guess the way that they wrote Elaine in the first script feels a bit like how they went with the games in terms of I guess treating her more like a damsel. Mm. Um, whereas later on in the other scripts, Elaine starts to get more of a, a role like she had in the original game. She rescues herself in you know elements like that that are kind of missing I guess in uh, yeah this first script that is kind of like a very it's it's very much just trying to take that original game and fit it into kind of a Hollywood kind of film structure, yeah. I guess. And I mean, it's you know, ultimately, it's kind of a a blip in the story, right? This this initial treatment. It's it uh, yeah. really the 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 concept goes into I don't know would the term be like pre production at this point? Like, it involves more of ILM and they they uh, well, it's it, it's weird. Yeah, it's like a, an extended pre-production, but more so than other projects. When you say pre-production, you you think it's just, I guess, like one or two scripts, or you know, getting like different scriptwriters in. But because this was a concerted effort from ILM to sort of make digital features, there's a lot more material from it. There's a lot more scripts, and it went on for maybe like a year longer than like other studios would put into pre-production. It's, it's like, um, it sounds like a LucasArts game. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, so yeah, you, you get like, um, I guess from here you get the next script, which is by Corey Scott and Scott Leberecht, who were members of ILM who were kind of internally, uh, they were like, independent filmmakers themselves but they also worked in the effects department and they actually made a couple of videos um that were kind of like parody videos of the effects department um so they were very kind of like internally kind of shared before stuff like youtube existed you know it was, it was something like that where they did kind of like a, a rap party video for like uh spawn and different things like that and they kind of did their own version of the scripts and that was the version that I've heard was um, pitched to Steven Spielberg. And that's kind of completely different to the first treatment. Uh, tell us about it. Uh, well, it's kind of like a, a completely different motivations, complete, like much more original. Um, they basically, it basically, yeah, starts with Elaine and her seven-year-old brother, Kit. Uh, and their father, who I imagine is not Herman Tufrot. Um And yeah, it, it basically, uh, Elaine's being pursued by LeChuck. LeChuck wants to make her a bride. Um, Elaine basically loses Kit, uh, who ends up on Monkey Island. And then Guybrush comes into, into the fact that he wants to be a pirate again. But he wants to... Uh, a, I guess when he asks people how to become a pirate, they say you have to pay union fees. So he has to go off to find some treasure to like pay off his union fees. And that just so happens to be on monkey Island. So 
I believe they're kind of thrown together, Elaine and Guybrush, in Melee Island because uh, Guybrush obviously needs a ship to get to Monkey Island, and Elaine kind of just just sees Latruck coming down the dock and is just like, we have to get out of here so you can come along too. And then from there, they're kind of on Monkey Island for most of the film and trying to find Kit and trying to find the treasure at the same time. And it's kind of that thing in a lot of like animated like movies where it's like priorities and like where does Guybrush priorities lie? Does it lie with like being a good person and helping this, you know, person find a brother or, or does it lie with like, you know, getting rich and famous and becoming a mighty pirate? Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much most of the script there. I think I'm okay with it, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think I think translating the the tone of Monkey Island to a movie and and changing Guybrush's uh, journey to just being paying union dues for being a pirate, like that's <laughs> that's my Monkey Island. You know, that's my headcanon <laughs> Monkey Island. I think I think that works that for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, 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 like when I think Monkey Island, I think of it as just being like, you know, Disney corporate pirates. You know, yeah. like it just it <laughs> it, it it works. Um, though it, it's a little bit disappointing reading in the thing that he does actually have to rescue Elaine because, as you, as you sort of mentioned that you know in in the game, I think what you know one of the strong points of the original game for me and a lot of others is that, um. Elaine rescues herself. Elaine doesn't need help. And in fact, Guybrush helping her like screws up her self-rescue attempt. And like, that's Elaine. That's her character. So it's uh, a little sad that they were going that way, I guess. Yeah, it, it seems like um, there are some like moments in, in which like Elaine gets to assert herself, but it's, it's never as much as the game. Because I think like the first game is a perfect example where it's like, most of the plot would have happened the same if Guybrush wasn't even there. <laughs> like <laughs> he's just kind of an incidental character. He does all this like collection, all this stuff. He turns up at the uh, the church, the chapel at the end, and like she's pretty much rescued herself. And it's only really him that puts her back in danger. And then he has to use kind of the bottle of seltzer or whatever to. Kind it's of, brilliant. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's it's like he's he's kind of like. The uselessness of being an adventure game hero. Like Which is <laughs> is what I kind of allude to, I guess, with their problems with Guybrush. A lot of people are like, you know, he's really simple. He's just this foolish character. But it's like, how do you make him a main protagonist of a film? And sort of, yeah, like pin a film on him when he's really... He, he doesn't, like, motivate the plot to move forward, really, in a lot of ways. Um Unless you, you, yeah, it's it's kind of a lot of the stuff that he does is kind of uh, in that first game at least very sort of like it's uh, secondary to what's actually happening with Lechuk and like the serious elements of the plot. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've I've been like trying to find the uh, the ending for this <laughs> as well to sort of discuss because there's like a few different ways he gets. Uh, I think he gets dispatched. I think in this version, it's a cannonball that dispatches uh, LeChuck, which, uh, mm. yeah, it's it's kind of alluded to earlier. But this is the first script as well that includes monkeys, like, in a big way, <laughs> which becomes, like, something that I guess uh, we could probably talk about. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but, I mean, in the meantime, though, you know, it it is... I mean, this is something that's kind of being 
you know, conceptualized internally at ILM. It's not a film that's in production, but um, they go probably with this treatment to meet with Spielberg, right? Yeah. So they they have, uh, I believe they have, uh, they they probably had a lot more, but they have two memorable meetings with uh, Spielberg. The first meeting was obviously the pitch, and they pitched this script to Spielberg, and they basically, um, yeah, they basically talked to him, and some of the first words that come out of his mouth were, I've been telling George for ages we should make a Monkey Island film, which is the most motivating thing that you can possibly have, you know, being being spoken to you by Steven Spielberg when you're trying to make a a Monkey Island film. So uh, it was a very easy sell for them to sort of say, you know, hey, we want to make this. And he was like, you know, uh, okay, let's kind of go ahead with it. But the big issue with um, this stuff is that I guess it never got to the point where financing was involved. It was always sort of like, you know, that's great. Keep developing it. We'll keep, we'll keep in touch. And it never really got the green light to go into production. So at this stage, it was like, you know, we'll have your people talk to our people type thing. And right. they kind of went off and sort of continued working on it. And uh, inside the, uh, the story department that they'd kind of started up. Um, and uh, yeah. And they, they basically, the end of the meeting, it says it in the uh, in the Polygon piece, but um, Corey Rosen remembers Dave Carson turning around to him and going, "You can chart the uh, the decline of your career from this moment of you know Steven Spielberg shaking your hand and you know telling you we're going to make a movie." <laughs> and uh, yeah, obviously it gets a bit more complicated from uh, from past this point, I guess. Okay, so they go back to ILM and they sort of regroup and end up. Um sort of doing what you might call like a third treatment for this movie, right? They they and that's the one that we've seen the art from. Yeah, that's the uh it, it gets kind of confusing this this point because from what I've heard both Corey and Tony Stackey wrote a treatment based on the story portfolio, story document, the uh, pitch document that's out there. Uh, I I'm not sure I I know Tony definitely wrote a version of it. Uh, Corey's version, I don't know whether he wrote that afterwards uh, uh, on on spec or whether he wrote that while he's part of the company. Um, But the third version of this script is basically, the third version of the story is essentially the same as the document or the the pitch deck that was released with all the images and the, you know, the play-by-play of each kind of individual scene, um, which kind of, focuses on this jewel and like LeChuck trying to raise a pirate, you know, the army of the dead, like a pirate kind of, uh, yeah, like dead pirates to sort of come together. It's kind of like a typical villain plot that doesn't really make sense if you kind of think about it too long. But yeah, um, so that's kind of, I guess, the point where they were at then is that they kind of just went back to ILM and just sort of continued doing art continued doing like revisions on the script, continued talking about the story in the story department, people chips in ideas. And that's kind of, yeah, it just kind of kept getting polished and polished. And I mean, do we, do we know the sort of basic story beats of that one? So, I mean, initial script, right. Is, is the secret of monkey Island, essentially. Like, it's just the same thing. Like uh Guybrush wants to be a pirate. He, he uh, goes through the motions. He ends up uh, rescuing Elaine from LeChuck, right? Second, second script is sort of uh, 
Guybrush and Elaine, right, reluctantly teaming up, even though they have different motivations to take down the Chuck Guybrush, Lawrence B. Hero, etc. What I mean, what what is the sort of plot of this third one other than uh, you know, LeChuck's uh uh super villain plot of 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 raising the dead like what what are what are the what's the like involvement of guybrush and elaine here yeah it's it's kind of i guess confusing because uh from the documents released at least the images released there's a very subtle kind of plot point that is not really made clear in the the, the images that are on that pitch deck which is that uh, Guybrush is like a chum bait fisherman in it. They've gave him an origin story now and gave him a bit more of a background. Um, and he basically still wants to be a pirate. He still has the same kind of motivation. Um, but he basically wanders into the scum bar and he, um, LeChuck is putting together this other crew because Elaine's armada has been basically hunting him down at sea. So he thinks, I'm going to shove Guybrush in this boat send him off and say, you know, you're going to Monkey Island and you're going to find treasure, but he's already got the treasure there. And basically, Elaine's going to sink Guybrush and LeChuck's going to be able to go and do his voodoo spell to raise all the the army of the dead. What happens, though, is Guybrush in this script, or in this version, has a pet monkey called Sam. And the pet monkey, in one of the images, steals the the artifact that is used in this blood ritual. So basically from there, Elaine sinks Guybrush, but they get together and then join up, you know, join forces. LeChuck realizes that he can't do the ritual. He does it and he raises, um, he basically raises a group of Jewish pirates um, called the Dead Sea Pirates instead of, you know, raising dead sea pirates which is like an awful play on words um but yeah he realizes the spell's basically gone wrong he um and i think it kind of climaxes that script in the fact that um the whole idea is you know uh, at least this is what tony stacky told me when when i was speaking to him is that it's this idea of like there's two types of pirates there's the kind of the disney version the sanitized kind of you know yo-ho-ho type pirate and there's the you know the bloodthirsty kind of killing pirate that was like a horrible you know horrible people and LeChuck represents the the side of that that is like really you know evil and like evil personified and at the end of the uh the story there's a bit where in the uh the ritual they need to get the blood of a pirate which might sound familiar to people who've watched Pirates of the Caribbean that's we'll get into that as well um but um yeah basically um that's the decision when you know Guybrush has to decide you know I don't really want to be a pirate anymore because I don't want my blood spilled and and there's that kind of element it's like does he really want to become a pirate and be like a terrible person like LeChuck or you know what what does it mean to be a pirate and stuff like that okay so there is another follow-up with Spielberg, uh, probably related to this treatment. Uh, how does that go? I, I actually believe that the the follow-up with Spielberg is related to the last version because oh, okay. as a, because f- from the last version had Kit going missing on Monkey Island, and that story had Kit joining forces with the monkeys on Monkey Island. So essentially, Kit was found by Elaine when monkeys started swarming them and they realized that one of them was a human 
and it was Kit. Um, so basically, when they went to sort of go back and talk to uh, Spielberg, his advice suddenly went from, you know, we. It's funny because Corey mentions that there were more people at this meeting. It's much more intimidating. It's much more official. You know, like Spielberg had his people all around, and there was a the small table that he was at suddenly stretched to being this massive like table filling the room with like people, and um, yeah, and he he basically his enthusiasm had basically become kind of more logistical, and it was more kind of he was giving more feedback on it and one of the feedback um that he gave was that he he thought that there should be more monkeys and that the protagonist should be a monkey and everyone who was present at that meeting just who from ILM at least just remembers nodding and being very 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 concerned about kind of the the direction (laughs) there and what they were going to do because I think even them, without consulting LucasArts, knew that, you know, if they did that, that it would be rightfully kind of criticized by fans. I, I love this part of the story because it's just such that that quintessential uh, Hollywood moment that people think of, like the reason that people criticize Hollywood studios and stuff, right? Like straying so far away from the source material that it becomes <laughs> completely unrecognizable. Yeah. Uh, from, <laughs> I guess like, the big thing that I didn't include and I think gives some context, I guess, into kind of why he believed that the protagonist should be not a human was that I think there was kind of, at least from David Carson and what David Carson told me, there was some sort of trepidation with visual effects and the visual likeness of people, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is an a- a element today. They're like bringing people back from the dead and, you know, like using people's <laughs> images um, but I guess at the time, they were a bit worried about how they would do that. And I think that was an element where it was like, you know, we can go the Shrek route and we can, you know, have like people, <laughs> you know, like these these people who are not people and we can have these stylized characters. And I mean, even if you look at Toy Story, the film that kind of sparked this idea in itself, if you look at the the quality of the the human characters at that time, they weren't particularly great and yeah, the way creepy. that they were utilized was <laughs> a lot of the time they would have people's you know legs on camera rather than you know their faces because most of them had the same faces um so yeah i think there is some kind of logistical element to him saying you know more monkeys but i i think the funniest thing is looking at that pitch deck again and then seeing the picture that steve Purcell drew of a monkey created out of like hundreds of monkeys like come together it's like you know if you want monkeys it's like it's <laughs> like a, a giant monkey made out of like hundreds of different monkeys and that's kind of like yeah that's your studio note <laughs> like fed back to you here you go yeah it's i don't know it it i mean i wasn't there i've never dealt with spielberg but it just strikes me of one of those things where i think a lot of people just have this tendency when someone's uh in power like a steven spielberg to just like nod and be a yes man where i think a lot of times they just need to be explained why that's a bad idea and you know it just just struck me as one of those and it makes me think of um our recent conversation on the video game history hour with with howard scott warshaw um who had a pitch meeting with steven steven spielberg about doing an et game oh yeah pitched his idea (laughs) 
Spielberg's like, well, why don't you just do Pac-Man? And he just said, well, here's why. And Spielberg went, oh, okay. And like, you know, history can argue whether the results were were better than a, a maze game or whatever. But it's like, you know, it, it just, I don't know. It just strikes me as one of those situations where it's like, well, someone had spoken up and explained, he might have been like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> you know? But instead, maybe they went home and, and drew a, a, a hundreds of monkeys shaped like a monkey to appease the great Spielberg. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess like, because there, there are stories, I guess, about Steven Spielberg and George Lucas kind of doing that with their kind of properties and kind of being like you know um go away and do this like and there's like a funny video of him i think telling someone to animate yoda sad and in the video it's like george lucas sat next to like uh some animator who's made like yoda look really sad he went i don't want him that sad though like it's like (laughs) he has to he has to like see it before you know like maybe that's like the um the thing with like directors like Spielberg and George Lucas is that they kind of want to see these things in action before they kind of go, okay, we've gone down the wrong direction. And maybe the, they have enough money that they, you know, can do that and sort of say, um, um, yeah, we don't want that and kind of eliminate that as like an option. But um, the, the big thing was that I guess at this point, a few of the people on the project were kind of, yeah, like twiddling the thumbs kind of, you know, what, what do we do now? You know, we'll continue working on the story, but, you know, the story's already getting there to the point where we want it. We'll keep, you know, churning out art, but the art's already, you know, getting there. And it becomes a point where there's a lot of like covering the same ground and kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And that's, I guess, when they start to um, start to kind of, yeah, think of other ideas as well. So the movie kind of fizzles out at this point um can you can you kind of explain why and and what the ultimate fate uh, uh, of these concepts was essentially um the i guess because uh, we actually did issue a correction on the piece um there was essentially the story department uh shut down but it moved feature development moved to another department of um of lucasfilm so um Basically, they were developing a number of features. So after Monkey Island, they started developing stuff for, I guess, uh, there was like a, a pitch for, you know, like uh, John Carter and and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like uh, I, I forget what some of the other ones are. If you, I don't know if you've got the piece up, but there was a few other ideas uh, kicked about. I think there was a Tintin project kicked about back then. Yep. And um, yeah, and it, it essentially gets to a point where they're working on all this stuff and then... I guess the story department hasn't necessarily delivered anything in terms of like a new film. So they, um, and they've not been able to get funding for, from Amblin for this Monkey Island project. So the story department shuts and a lot of these people who were there kind of go off and do their own thing or they're kind of folded back into ILM. But feature development continues, I think, up till uh 2006 and i know a few uh people who were in the story department on monkey island kind of stayed at the studio until that point and then i think everything goes on to clone wars so everyone who was sort of like in the the kind of feature development there kind of went into kind of helping out with kind of what george lucas wanted to do and kind of getting back on page with you know kind of support being kind of a, a support element within the studio rather than kind of manufacturing their own ideas 
So I'm not that much of a Lucasfilm historian, but it does kind of strike me that the company does operate that way. There's a lot of just concepts that that get floated around and in various states of production or pre-production that just kind of get abandoned and moved on. Um, so, you know, I guess it doesn't surprise me to to hear that there's a lot of um, movie concepts that, that fell aside as well. But, um, you know, sort of on that note, uh, you alluded to this earlier, but uh, I guess there was a rumor for a long time that the original Pirates of the Caribbean movie um, might have borrowed some elements from these Monkey Island concepts. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so I guess that was the persistent rumor, and that's the rumor that I've kind of been so interested about and why I kind of, I guess for most of the time I've been in games, I've kind of on-off kind of wanted to pursue this as a topic for a feature, uh, is because essentially the one of the two, I guess three of the names that came up were Steven Spielberg producing and Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, the writers of Pirates of the Caribbean, were linked to writing it. I found out that wasn't actually true. What had happened was that, um, I guess, it's been common knowledge in the in the film industry that uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio were trying to create a Pirates of the Caribbean film for ages. I think they were pitching it to Disney. If you look at like their credits in the early 2000s or even like the Wikipedia and you know their time in the early 2000s they were attached to so many different projects but Pirates of the Caribbean from what I've heard was one of their kind of they their dream projects um and at ILM essentially there was a ton of meetings that they would do or a ton of like these conferences that they would do where they bring in filmmakers and different people to kind of talk about story and elements like that and basically one of the guests was Ted Elliott, Terry Rossio. So they attended one of That's these. That's when they stole everything. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they stole they, the secret stars. Yeah. They basically turned up, um, basically talked to a ton of the people. And from what I've heard from at least two of the people, two, uh, two or three of the people who, who worked at ILM at the time, they had also been sent uh, basically from Amblin, um, someone at Amblin had basically said, you know, go down and do this conference um, and, you know, basically listen to what they're doing and maybe, you know, you can come on board because you're actual script writers. You can actually help with the project. Because mm. um, a lot of the people at ILM were visual effects artists and artists who basically were writing scripts. Um, and basically they listened to the pitch they listened to that pitch document they listened to everything and their response to it was essentially you know we know from experience nobody wants a pirate movie you know you're not going to get a pirate movie made and the date changes depending on who you talk to but literally you know that that year that month that day depending on who you talk to um Pirates of the Caribbean at Disney is announced. And um, I guess there's a, a kind of a lot of different feelings from the people who worked at ILM of whether they got the supernatural element of the uh, the script um, from the stories that were being told to them. But there is also the element of it's a completely original story. There's stuff like, you know, Jack Sparrow's a lightning in a bottle moment in film that sort of sent that you know, film soaring to the box office. There's also the fact that 
um, Tony Stackey told me that he, he basically went to the head of ILM afterwards and he was like, you know, those guys told us we couldn't get funding for our pirate movie. And now they're making a pirate movie. And then, <laughs> and then his boss basically turning around and going, yeah, but we have the effects for it. And, you know, Dead Man's Chest, ILM actually won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. So it's like a mutually beneficial thing. So I think for a long time, it's been treated, you know, as these two antagonistic properties. But when you talk to like, you know, David Carson, David Carson was extremely complimentary of, um, you know, like uh, the two screenwriters on Pirates of the Caribbean. He was saying, you know, WordPlayer, their website, he would always go, you know, to it and try and find out like how to, you know, create a story and what are the best elements for creating a film story. And, you know, there was a lot of like mutual respect there. And, I mean, even the people who worked on the project, I know that uh, Dilo Gosman inside the uh, the film department at ILM and Tony Stackey, they both ended up working with Gore Verbinski in some capacity later, who was the director in Pirates of the Caribbean for, for Rango. Um, yeah, it's, it, it seems like a lot of these things are kind of related and there's n- not really too much hard feelings about it, which um, I guess when it goes on the internet becomes kind of a battle between the properties and kind of, you know, uh, I remember the first, pretty much the first comment when I released this was like, I'll never believe it. (laughs) (laughs) You may have done the research and published your findings, but my narrative in my head canon is the correct one. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Well, and it's, I think someone even, there's, there's a quote, along these lines in the piece even, but it's like both Monkey Island and the Pirates of the Caribbean movie take their inspiration from the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Uh, Right. Of course, course there's going to be some similarities. (laughs) They both have the same source material they drew from. I guess that's where the the idea of the supernatural becomes like a a big thing. Because if you, I guess people are taking from later films when you, I don't know if you've seen any of the compilations where it compares... Mm-mm. The visuals of the game and the visuals of the uh, the the films, the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, films, but um, the big things I think that ILM was sort of like looking at and going, maybe we did inspire them, you know, not like they stole it, but maybe we inspired them in some capacity. Was you know stuff like the supernatural elements with you know the raising the dead, or there's a a bit in the uh, the pitch deck for the third version of the Monkey Island project where you know these dead pirates walk out of the sea is that you know it's a visual that inspired you know the bit where they're walking underneath the ship or the bit with the blood ritual where uh guybrush is being held over like a, a pile of um like voodoo like um ingredients like is that like something that links to orlando bloom and the fact you know it has to be a blood of the pirate and it's elements like that that do match up but then I guess Tony Stack, he was, you know, sort of defensive and he said, you know, this is just, you know, pirate law. This is, mm-hmm. you know, there's like cult books as well, you know, stuff like on Strangers uh, Tides and, you know, Stranger Tides and, and you know, tons of like kind of cult type uh, pirate literature that's come out over the last 30 years that has kind of alluded to kind of voodoo and and different right. elements like that. So it's well, like, I mean, whether... you mentioned on Stranger Tides, right? Which is <laughs> where Gilbert got the voodoo stuff for Monkey Island was from the, yeah. the novel on Stranger Tides. And, and I mean, 
I think it's complete coincidence that I believe the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, like, is is <laughs> yeah. is similar to. I, the- I actually, I have to, I have to correct you. It's the, okay. The- I, I've watched past the third film. That's that's the fourth film. There's I a fourth think? film. Wow. <laughs> There's five films. I stopped wow. watching them after the fourth one. But yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for the correction. But like, <laughs> the, the point being that like there, it, it's a small pool of things to take influence from, you know, because the pirates yeah. are like a mythology, and there's only so far to take it. And I, I think, uh, uh, humans like finding patterns. <laughs> You yeah, know, they, they they like finding patterns and creating conspiracy theories, and uh, I think it's just I think that's all that this is. It's actually uh, an interesting detail that I didn't say was I mentioned that Gore Verbinski uh, spoke to Tony Stacky after Tony Stacky actually showed him his portfolio, and Gore Verbinski apparently when he looked at the portfolio, out of all the images that he pointed to. He pointed to something from Curse of Monkey Island and went, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they had a conversation about it. And it, it it just seems like that's kind of how story development is in, in films. You know, people create stuff, they move on. And um, yeah, and people kind of share it to each other, you know, and sort of say, this is what I've worked on. And there's a lot of like mutual respect there. Uh, I know Tony certainly doesn't have any hard feelings about any of the elements sort of crossing over or being like kind of, um, you know, similar in a way. I know uh, David doesn't either. Um, so it was really refreshing to hear that after, I guess, like the animacy that you see online about it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just seems to be, I guess, like one of those things that, um, that I guess at least we got a pirate film because you, you got to imagine as well, something that we didn't mention was at the time, there was a stigma in Hollywood, not just for pirate films because of Cutthroat Island, but there was a stigma because of video game films because of Super mm-hmm. Mario Brothers. So you can imagine they had a much harder time to being like, you know, Super Mario Brothers. And, uh, you know, we're going to make like a video game film like uh, Super Mario Brothers. They, they apparently <laughs> kept that out of all their meetings because that was like, that was like the death now to kind of mention that. But um yeah, at the time that that just you can imagine they just had like a really difficult time trying to sell people on that. For the record, since you can't see uh for those listening, Robin in the in the sort of virtual production booth just lit up and, and did a big thumbs up at the mention of Super Mario Brothers, the movie. <laughs> so <laughs> she's now clapping. So just, just just imagine that if you will. Um should there be a Monkey Island movie? Could there be a Monkey Island movie? I don't know. <laughs> I, I that last that last version I really like because I really like not to say anything bad about the other versions, but I I I really think someone like Stony, uh, Tony Tony uh, Stacky is like an incredible director. He went on to do stuff like the Box Trolls at Laker. And you imagine a company like Laker, imagine them getting like the rights to do it or like a stop motion company like that or or like, a yeah, like one of these really talented kind of like companies, um, basically who are great at story development, putting a spin on it. Uh, I think the third version is is the one that I, I would have um, yeah been most confident about. But at the same time, you have to kind of think about what digital a lot of the artwork we've seen is 2d it's hand-drawn it's it's 
painted it's beautiful but then transferring that into kind of digital effects i i heard from um someone who was attached to the project that it would look like maybe a more parity polar express and that's the point where i was a bit like <laughs> uh, yeah know, I, like, I do think that this from the beginning would have always worked better as a 2d thing like if you're if you're going to take something like this to market as a movie i just the 3d doesn't feel like it fits with the art style that the games have established i don't feel like it translates yeah. very well i know there are 3d monkey island games and they don't look right to me so <laughs> clouds look good clouds look great in curse yeah curse yeah. curse has beautiful environments um, but yeah i'm wondering like with you like i know a big conversation was like you know they shouldn't have made this if they didn't talk to you know like ron gilbert or uh, Dave Grossman or Tim Schafer and I know there's some other people and I know Bill Tiller as well is like really sort of like I would have loved for them to have reached out to me because I would have loved to work on it and I know kind of Larry as well sort of had a link to Disney I'm wondering kind of who you would have loved to sort of see get involved from LucasArts well I mean first of all I don't think you make a movie out of this thing I really yeah. don't because I don't think I, the humor works the a same TV way. series <laughs> I don't even think that. So I, th I think of this the same way that I think of, I don't know, Watchmen, the comic book. It's like yeah. the reason that it's successful is because it tapped into something unique to its medium. Um, and I and I don't think like that Watchmen movie, I guess I guess it has its fans for some reason, but it's just it's just a nothing <laughs> movie because it's it's just, you know, filming the comic, which was magic only because it was a comic. Um, and I think I think of Monkey Island in the same way, like the 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 structure of the acts and things like that in Monkey Island is very much it's a game. The the protagonist being this like, I don't want to say loser, but, you know, whatever you want to call Guybrush, you know, yeah, like yeah. only works because he's sort of this blank slate. He's like a passive character. Stuff yeah. happens to him rather than really. Well, I guess. He does have verbs, so I can't really say he's that passive, but yeah. Um, right, but he's a stand-in for the player, yeah. right? It's like, I want to be a pirate. I don't know how. Let's learn together. You know, like, that's that's a game character. And so I, I just, I don't think, I don't think, like, the lore and 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 stuff like that in Monkey Island is all that. You know, I think it's it's just, it's just an interesting game. So I don't, I don't think it works as an adaptation. But um, that said, you know, who would I talk to when developing property i always defer to ron gilbert um when it comes to monkey island because the the tone lives in his head um you know the yeah. the the tone and the characters and, and what they are like that came from him and uh i think they still live in there um so i think that ron could have even though he's not a filmmaker I, and i don't even think that's his ambition i, I would think that um going to the source to talk it through and understand and 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 even if you don't use Ron's ideas directly I think the ideas that he gives you even if they're completely awful and don't work in a movie I think lead you to the path of making this into a movie so yeah. that's that's where I would go for sure it's it's interesting as well because like I, I spoke to Mark Ferrari who was uh you know like a background artist uh, on uh, Secret of Monkey Island and he mentioned EGA that, version only folks EGA yeah, version yeah. only <laughs> You have to correct. Yeah, but like uh, like he mentioned that a lot of the comedy came from just, you know, them at LucasArts. Oh, yeah. You know, well, LucasFilm Games at the time uh, 
sat in the office talking. So a lot of it also came from like Steve Purcell, you know, adding, uh, according to him, added the monkey element, which was that whole kind of Sam and Max kind of uh, comedy element to it. And it was like group of people at that time. It's that lightning in a bottle situation. And it's, I feel like a film would satisfy for me that element that the later games like Escape and Tales satisfy for me, which is very much like, you know, it's a fun adventure, but I guess not hitting on the the heights of those, I guess, first three games. Because I think, I, I think Curse kind of is different, but mm-hmm. I believe it, it, it's kind of elevated in a way because it, it just... It, it it it's just the best version of that later, you know, kind of adventure kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, but like, it, it, uh, yeah, it, it feels like um, it wouldn't satisfy that stuff that I get from playing the first two games, which is very much like, you know, I still think about kind of playing Monkey Island 1 and 2 for the first time and those kind of, those kind of like self-referential things that just kind of live off, live in my head, like, you know, have real estate in my head, uh, like the jokes about floppy disks mm-hmm. and, you know, um, the the jokes about um, the, oh, I'm going blank now, but like. Uh, yeah, the price of the computer game. Being yeah, the price of, price of the computer game. The I mean, the like. You know, there's a one of my favorite lines is is during one of the random fight encounters where uh, one of your dialogue options to the guy you're about to fight is, "Why do you guys talk like that?" And his <laughs> yeah. response is like, "It's it's you know it's pirate dialogue. Guybrush, play along." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't yeah I don't know how to translate that to film. I don't think that, I don't think you bother. I think that I I think that the the magic of those first two games is that it's like computer game improv, you know, like you said, all these ideas uh, just came from just, you know, what, what you might call like a Simpsons writer's room kind of approach, right. Where people are just like making each other laugh. And because the scum scripting language is so damn simple, like you can just like throw a gag in and and get it in the game and i mean i i i know because i can i can script it you just get it in in like a couple minutes um and you're done uh so always an excuse to bring up that you're scum fluent now i'm i'm, I'm high school fluent <laughs> Humble brag. Scum. yeah um <laughs> but yeah I, and i don't know i also think that for me uh it's just that that quote-unquote franchise it's like anything past that second game i'm not going to say it's bad but it's just like the ideas are done after the second game yeah it's it's kind of i I guess like i I, it's 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 hard to kind of talk about them because I, i kind of i really love curse and i think there are some elements in escape that are redeemable and i think there are elements in tales that are redeemable so i don't necessarily want to talk down those games when i talk about it um but at the same time that it's creating that distinction between the the series because it's it's a weird series it's mm-hmm. it's I, I wrote like a piece for wireframe a retrospective about the whole series interviewing people across the series and it's not really a series no it it's is like, not it's absolutely not it's no. like you know personnel from the first game to the second game changed as well you know not in the leadership parts some people from lucasfilm games left when it became lucasarts 
you know, then you've got the the team that came on board for Curse of Monkey Island. Then you've got the team that came on board after that. Then you've got the the revival at Telltale. Right, the revival is like the people who grew up with the games now taking being taught lead. by the yeah. people who made it. Like I know that um, there was like at least one meeting that with Ron, Ron Gilbert, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there was also. I think it. Uh, well, I mean, Chuck, Dave Grossman, Chuck, Chuck Jordan as well was there for one meeting. I think. Uh, okay, and then and Dave Grossman, who was the head of design at Telltale, worked on the first two games yeah. as one of the the three co-authors. So yeah, I mean, there is some continuity there, but I agree with you. It's not really a series. I never thought of it really as a like franchise. I mean, know? I'm sort of an outsider here, but to me, the through line with all of them is just that it's a pirate themed comedy, and beyond yeah. that, it's yeah. not. Yeah, they're not. The same games. I think that's why a lot of imitators have kind of failed in a way. Yeah. Because you mean like in adventure games? Yeah, like in adventure games, there's always kind of like, I guess we have a guybrush like protagonist and we're doing kind of this. And I, I think like there are so many amazing adventure games now, but I think like I tend to be interested by the stuff, not sort of focusing on, I guess, what was done in the 90s and are trying to yeah. do stuff that's kind of like new with the genre like there's a lot of like great like artists who are using it now as kind of visual storytelling and and that's obviously coming from stuff like amanita design and all the stuff they did with samarost and Mm. kind of building off that and yeah but um yeah it i guess like the big thing that i remember jake rodkin saying when he did a live stream with dominic armado was he treated it a bit like camping so you know like you turn up you know, and when you leave, you kind of you clean up after yourself. You you leave it in the best possible condition. The thing, and that's how he treated tales. And I I believe they kind of did sort of want to get the series back to the beginning again. By the end of that, everyone's motivations were kind of similar at the end of that game to how they would be in the original uh, games. And I have heard like some kind of ideas of what like I guess. Um, I believe his name's Mark Darren was kind of vi- envisioning for later kind of games in in the series, um, which involved. Uh, well, actually, I can't I can't remember off the top of my head, so I won't actually say what what the <laughs> ideas were. But there were ideas, um, but I believe the idea was you know to leave it kind of um, as they found it in a way, uh, which I guess you can't really do too much. <laughs> you know, dramatic stuff in there yeah. if, if you kind of have that perspective, I guess. Oh, Marvel comics have been doing it for like 50 years now. It's fine. <laughs> like, <you laughs> yeah. <can do> it. <laughs> Just kill Guybrush over and over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Jack, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Video Game History Hour. Um, we will link to the Polygon piece um, in the show notes. But other than that, where can people find you on the internet? I am mostly just active on Twitter at Jack G. Yarwood. And that's basically where I post all the articles I work on. So uh, yeah, they can find me there. Great. Uh, Thanks a lot. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter at Game History Hour or email us at podcast at gamehistory.org. Did you know that the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon or at gamehistory.org slash donate. 
This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.